0: Before we get going with today's episode, I want to remind you to register for our sweepstakes, a collaboration with Glacier Clinics, the opportunity to win a flight for two hotel and rental car to any of the Glacier Clinic cities when those, those clinics are going on, of course, and a staff pass, uh, which includes all your coaches and your coaching staff and access to the Glacier Drive. And you go to Glazierclinics.com when to do that. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about how you stay off the ground, save the risk of injury, and really put more of a focus on performance and joining me to do that. My friend Vince Diggitunnel. Coach Dig, always great to talk ball with you.
1: Absolutely, Keith. Hello, how are we doing tonight?
0: I'm doing great. Always talking to you as you're on the Long Island Expressway. I believe that's where you are right now.
1: Very, very close. Very close. So you're oh, you're never when you're around New if you're never too close, you're never too far away
0: from it. <laughs> there you go. So we did uh, a Lessons from the Season podcast, actually videocast the other day, I'm looking at it, doing some more of those throughout the off season here. But with yours, we focused on some of the things that you learned from the season. It was a great explanation, some great video there. But one of the things that really interested me is what you've done to put definition to the things we talk about with tempo and, and finishes that come into play when we we talk about what we want from our drills as far as the execution, as well as the things that are going to take some of the risk out of it. And so four areas that you've defined, tag, tuck, thud, and ball. So first of all, talk to us about the need for this and why you put more definition to these things, which typically a lot of programs do this.
1: Yeah, so, and again, part of it is, and I always kind of talk to this, and especially we talked about this the other night in the lessons learned, is really about the program-wide, like vertical alignment from the top down and everything that, that we do. Um, I think that's really kind of important that a lot of this stuff doesn't work in isolation, and I think it it, it goes without saying that, you know, everything that, that I do might not be good for somebody else, and everything that somebody else does may not be good for them, but there's kind of concepts and elements that you can take out of it and it kind of fit into what you're trying to do. I think we all do that in this time of the year. I think we all reflect and we all look. I think one of the things, though, in looking not this season, but even last season, and I think when we talk about last season, we're actually talking about the spring season coming out of, uh, of COVID by having the back-to-back without having a fall season last year. And into the summer, we started to notice, you know, we obviously have an emphasis on on the tackling side of it, too. But really to take it to the next level and, and ensure that what we're what we're doing in our team periods and I think that's the thing that, that kind of goes understated sometimes. What we're doing in our team periods carries over to our drill periods too. And and as much as I say tackling doesn't work in isolation, the drill and the indie work and the group work can't work in isolation from the the you know, seven on seven, the uh, uh, nine on nine, you know, the the, the, the eleven on eleven team period. Uh, how that kind of works, too. So, because I noticed that and sometimes, and not what we do, but and how we explain it, how we define it, and how we teach it, there's a little bit of, there was a little bit of a gap there in, in like what we were doing. So, um starting off in the summer, when we started to introduce the drill work, we, we started to really look at being a better team when we talk about being a better stud team, right? How can we be a better stud team? and and our head coach Joe Conlin talks all the time about, practicing like a professional and keeping off the ground right keeping off the ground because we all know being on the ground is obviously player versus ground player versus player taking to the ground with force is is, presents a risk of injury but just as much of a risk of injury for that is the other player that trips over a player or gets pushed over a player or gets rolled on by a player Mm -hmm. on the ground so in order to be A successful team, you want to obviously be a healthy team, and you want to be able to keep players for the long haul for seasons, and you don't want to lose them to injuries that are injuries we all know are part of the game, right? We get that, that there's there's an aspect of that, and there's always plays that we're trying to make the game safer too, but the reality is you don't want to do that in in a practice setting, especially in a non-live situation, right? In a non-live situation where you've slowed down the tempo or you're you're significantly putting the emphasis on staying off the ground, Right. You want to go ahead and make sure that at all aspects of it, you're trying to do that. And and the area that, you know, an input to to do that was in this arena of tackling too. So when we looked at it, obviously that was one of the primary focuses that is program-wide, but looking at how we actually expand the players, the one thing about players these days, as opposed to like when we were a little bit younger, you know, not the back in my day speech, but it's like, they don't have as much imagination of what things are as we did, right? Because everything's kind of presented to them straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. Everything, there's instant answers. It's generation of an on-demand area. You can Wikipedia something. You can Google something. You can do whatever. If you need an answer for something, you can find an answer for something. It doesn't really require a lot of imagination. So in order to go ahead and really meet the needs of our players, you really got to clearly define some stuff for us too. So when we kind of talk about THUD and they've grown up in the area in the age of like you know THUDs and the changes to the game and making the game more efficient when it comes to that, it became clear that we had to go ahead and define it for them, like what that means, right? Right. And in doing so, I mean, it's an age of ac- acronyms too, right? It's an age of acronyms. So kind of came and put all of those kind of things together. So that kind of satisfied the need for the whole entire thing and the process for it. And then it really became about, like, implementing it, overseeing it, and then continuing to work work it throughout the season, too.
0: So let's start with your acronyms. And I think acronyms, in a lot of ways, start to get annoying to me because a lot of them seem forced. But as I looked at your acronyms, they really make a lot of sense. So let's start with TAG and what TAG means as far as a tempo and finish.
1: conceptually, right, before I even get into TAG, a lot of times you hear, hey, tag off at the hips, tag off at the hips, right? And, and I get that. But the reality is when you really focus on tagging off the hips, there's really big, do we ever really take it I, – I looked at it closely, and I, and I think, do we ever, through a critical lens, because I'm actually the one who I'm talking about that didn't do it, right? Do we ever really look at the two main aspects of tackle that we look at, right? We look at those profile, those head-on type of tackles, right? The shooting tackles, however you define it. Like, you really have it into two subcategories, like the in front or on the back angle right. tackles, right? And we all know we're really going to rarely do a lot of stuff that's going to be from behind, especially on live bodies The stuff from behind. Usually that's going to be, like, the ankle taps and the things on tags and whatever the case may be. So the biggest part about the tag piece is about being able to tackle angles and grabs. And that's how we, like, define it, right? So when we talk about tackle angles, right, talk about angles, we usually talk about being on the back hip one of the rules that obviously we have when it comes to is staying off the legs. We're going to stay off the legs if we're going to stay high, right? But it's really, really tough to define in a third period. When do I go ahead and stay off the legs? You know, you got guys going ahead uh, and giving a hundred percent effort to the football. And the reality is, is you start to define it by saying, if you're on an angle, an angle tackle or a back angle tackle, you're going to end up tagging off, right? You're going to tag to the back. End. And one of the things that kind of took from guys throughout years and thought logically about it you know we've taught players to do tag with their palms uh, up right which is right. but then you really think about it on a back angle tackle you're tackling with your palms up but you're going to get the full extension of your body if i'm going to get the full extension of a body i'm going to be able to look at my fingertips up right when it comes to that side of it too and and as i'm actually talking to you it's tough but i'm actually doing it Live in front of me, which nobody can see, which makes me look pretty <laughs> foolish uh, here. Just but, don't get in yeah, an accident. <laughs> that's correct. Not a problem. But the other part of it, too, is, is that when we talk to tag the back hip, we talk to go ahead and put the fingertips up and get the full extension of the hand, right? right. The full extension of the hands of the back hip. Because in doing that, you, you gain the trust in yourself to understand what your range is, right? What is your actual physical range? And we start to measure the range, right? And you look at why these measurables matter. Why do long arms matter, right? Why does the ability to go ahead and and, and get a broad jump matter? It matters because it it, it adds the ability for you to have range for when you take off. And and it kind of explains that when you look at the tackler's range and you look at it on film and they're back hip tagging with their fingertips up, you're like, you're going to need three more steps to make that tackle, right? Before you go ahead and reach out. And a lot of times, we end up that they get really, really close to it, and then they go ahead with their palms up, and they they, they tag the back hip on an upward strike. That's probably not what they're going to end up doing. They're going to end up driving through right. and, and, and driving off that front foot through the body. So when we talk about the idea of the tag of tackle the angles and grasp, first start with the back angle, right? And we do that on, on, like, the day one. The other piece of it, too, if it's head-on, now I'm going to need both hands, to almost be in that cup fashion to be able to go ahead and get to both hips and drive my hands through there. So it's going to be a much different fashion if I'm straight on, mm-hmm. right? If I'm going ahead and, and then And that really, we talk about the grass aspect of tackling grass, right? So we talk about tackling grass. We're talking about open space. So, and we talk about all the time, if I want to be a goat, I got to eat the grass, right? So I mm-hmm. want to eat up defenders' space. So that's why that fits in about tackling the grass. So, we try to go at it even in the third tempo You know, a lot of times when, it, when the ball breaks through and it happens, right? It happens to everybody. When it gets to the open field or it gets to the third level and you do have a straight-on tackle, it's more, it's more advantageous to us to be able to go close the space and tag those hips in, in that open space to really see how close we had to get and then kind of forfeit an unnecessary open field contact on both sides of the football. Right, because we've already established the ball has gotten on the third level. We've already established we have a problem. Let's go ahead and get to a place where we're going to make that physical contact, but it doesn't need to be a collision at the third level. So it's like about – it really comes back to the point is made, and the primary point is, right, we got to get the ball on the ground. And in doing so, we got to go ahead and be able to close space on it. The point is made on the offense that – you know, leverage has been exploited and the ball's on the third level. We don't always need to make the other point that we need to, you know, have a physical collision to do that. Right. So, and we can always see, like, the why that is on both sides of the ball, to, you know, keep that happening on offense or prevent that from happening on defense. And not to go without, say- go without saying our ability to do this also in the kicking game, right? Because mm-hmm. you rarely, if anybody I don't even know anymore at any level, gets too many live reps in the kicking game uh, in practice. Uh, no. I, I would be hard pressed to see that. It's a very I mean that's really we talk everybody asks the question about how much live do you go and it's obviously in season it's very little depending on where you are in a spring season obviously you have a little bit more opportunity to but in a kicking game I don't know know that anybody at high school youth any level is going any kind of live repetitions in practice in a kicking game to get the ball on the ground. That's right. You know, I mean maybe Maybe a couple places, but even in the most
0: aggressive-minded
1: coach, it's very rare that you even see something like that. Yeah, so that's you, where you can explore that, utilize it as well.
0: You want to get your guys to game day. And, and, and what I love about the way you've looked at this is, and I've been a part of it, we've done it this way, where the idea is, well, we we want to save the risk, we want to be safer, and so we're going to go to tag, and then we don't define it. And as you pointed out, there's a lot of things within – tag that can put you in a position is going to be very like carrying the full thing through where you see a lot of these guys now it has definition where number one they understand what to do and when you're looking at practice back on film did they get in the right position those are things you can point out those become teachable moments where when this was very undefined and you're you're whizzing by guys and tapping them on a hip or whatever it might be or just letting them go because they're in front of you it's not getting a whole lot out of that so this is definitely giving you something better in terms of performance so the next one you have is tuck tackle under control
1: so actually let me go back to one thing you just said right there too if you don't bend your knees you're not making a tackle right if you don't if you don't go ahead if you don't go to either bend your knees or lower your level or change your level i should even say i'm even talking on the back angle tackle if your knees or level hasn't changed, you're not going to be able to make a tag. Like We've already kind of established that. And a lot of times when we when we get to the point where we've established it, you know, we, we look at it and, and we say, yeah, 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 we've already covered what tag is and, you know, what tag off is, and then we kind of let it go, and then we have a bad performance, and then we kind of emphasize it, and we yell about it in practice, and it's like, but let's prevent it. Let's prevent the yelling piece of it. Let's get really good at it. Like we're out here spending a lot of time at it, so – constantly talk about the fact of, like, Benjenese. Like, Benjenese and don't just – don't. and a lot of times when you watch, especially the seven-on-seven seven game, you see it in camps and the, and the summertime seven-on-sevens, and you see it all over the place. It's like the straight-legged approach to the football. Right. And and then what ultimately ends up in is it gets ultra-competitive, and then you end up with, you know, a kid that maybe didn't win a ref or whatever the case may be, and then ends up throwing a kid on the ground. Mm-hmm. Part of that has to be because they don't really have the understanding about how to bend your knees, like, because it hasn't been overemphasized. So, I mean, that's, like, that's another piece of it, too. And I know you brought up tuck. So, with tuck and thud, right, and I'm going to get into ball later because that's, that's a big one, too, but with tuck, and you mentioned whiz, and that's why I wanted to get into the ball tempo, too, but with, with tuck, it's about also just redistributing weight, right? So, when we talk about tuck, we talk about the idea of tackling under control. Right? When we talk about the tackling under control, the control piece is not only our body, right? The tag piece and the, and the other pieces and all the teaching that we have at Ball Tempo talk about our body control. The tuck piece and the thud piece especially start to speak about controlling the ball carrier's weight, which is just as equally important in this whole entire thing. And it's all about weight distribution, right? It's all about it's, And it's all about, we talked about it the other night, the degrees of levers and the types of levers that you would have and to where the input force is and where the output force is and working in different types of capacity, right? And in tuck specifically, it speaks to our ability to go ahead and lower our level and our strike point being at pretty much from the lower part of the numbers to the upper part of the knee in between that real sweet spot in between the body. Now, in order to do that, we go ahead and really most of the focus remains the same. We're really coaching the ball carrier more than we're coaching the tackler in the dr- in, in the drill setting. This is mostly used for drills and not really used for the competitive periods. With the tuck, though, we're asking that ball carrier to hop in the air, right, right. and leave their feet and, and get on the vertical meet. And the reason we're doing that, and, again, a lot of the times we've looked at these things, and they're just things that we do, right, in the past. But one of the reasons we're really emphasizing this is because we're trying to redistribute the ball carrier's weight on contact. Right, so one of the things we're obviously emphasizing is our ability to strike on the rise. Right, so we want to lower our hips, we want to get shoulder contact on the on the on the near number of the ball carrier on the lower part of the near number of the ball carrier, and we want to go ahead and and strike on the rise. Now, what we've done though by doing that is we make them control the vertical um, distribution of the ball carrier on contact because now the the ball carrier's weight is now in the air. And they gotta work pad under pad, and that force is now working from basically from south to north as opposed from east to west, right? As to where that where that force actually is. And that's the teaching point inside of that too. But it's a way for us to gotta go over and it, too. And yeah, some people do it by changing angles and bags, whatever the case may be, but we notice a lot of times, especially in the drill work, that both players are generally straight legged, and the first thing they do. They go drop their hips behind them, and it just becomes like the, the old-school like Oklahoma-type force in between the two. But it's a way for us to get resistance without having to have a circus act activity, right? And, and that's one of the things, like, we're not trying to have all these different bells and whistles and set up drills and have to over-explain it, and
0: it's really cool drills,
1: but it's just a very simple way to redistribute weight and redistribute force because ultimately, and the question we already have is about, live competition, it's always gonna be about how much live competition, live competition, live competition, and you say to yourself, what are we trying to be, to, to really manifest? Speed and power, right? We're trying to get speed and power, and how we counterbalance speed and power here, right, with this, is be able to redistribute where the, where the load is gonna be, so that we could redistribute where the force is gonna end up being on the ball carrier. So that's one of the ways we do it with this Huck piece of it too, primarily used for drill work because we all slow it down in the, in there, for, for the competitive period but it manifests itself in our ability to go ahead and try to translate that piece into actual good drills yourself right
0: it's so important when you're creating drills you know whether they are, are full live go go drills or something in in these different tempos and finishes you've talked about all drills need to translate to the full context 11 on 11 of the play in a game right And if you're designing things or you're working things that don't have that carryover, how much are you accomplishing? It's kind of just like you have some activity. There might be a couple things you do, but you're not getting the most out of it. So to have the carryover and be able to communicate this way that, hey, this is tag or this is tuck or this is thud now starts to give you that synergy between those periods. So what you're doing in individual is going to carry over to your group, to your team and all the things that you do. And I think one of the things to emphasize, too, is go back to the vertical alignment piece, right? Head coach turns around and makes a
1: decision, like, hey, this period's is right? They're not overthinking what you're teaching in your individual drill. It's the responsibility of the assistant to align with the head coach's vision, right, when it comes back to the vision of the program. It's not the responsibility of the other way to do it, right? So right. That's, that's important, being in both those, in both of them, those Seats from the head coach and the assistant coach. It's really important that the head coach doesn't have to overthink. Well, what role do they do today? Like, you've got to look at where the vision of that and, and the direction of the program is as an assistant or as a position coach or as whatever your role is. And you got to be able to say, okay, great, here we go, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the big questions people ask—they ask me all the time—is this coach did the coach buy into what you're selling with ta- what you're doing with tackling? And I say, well, it's not their responsibility. They buy in when they hire you, right? It's yours when you when you make a decision to be on a staff. You have to go in and buy into the vision that they have, right? And it's mostly going to be player-centered, and not everybody is that. I'm, I'm fortunate to work for somebody that's very player-centered, right, when it comes to that, too. But what ends up happening is, like, the decision's already been made the minute you've been hired, right, to buy into you. The key is now you take what you know, you take what your experiences are, and you've got to go ahead and align into what that program vision and direction is based on where, where the direction of, of the person at the top of it does. So I think that's really, really important, too, so – you know, when Joe calls out and says, hey, this period you thud, know, it's the responsibility of us defensively to make sure we that our players understand what thud is, right? That's mm-hmm. the big thing. That's why we're there, yeah, right? Exactly.
0: Well, that takes us to the next one, thud. And this is one that I tweeted out, kind of gave me the idea to have this episode because uh, it did grab a lot of interest. It grabbed a lot of attention on Twitter when people saw this and really liked this acronym that you have for thud, so take it away with thud. There we go. And then next up on the <laughs> game is thud. No, uh, so so
1: uh are you doing in the you know John Sterling, you know, or uh, Bob Shepherd voice from the Yankees <laughs> now passing thud. No, so but with thud it's it's tackle high until domination, right? So how many times have you yelled at a coach and thud stay high, stay off the ground? Right but run through them, say hi, but run through like you, like it's one of those things. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Like with this, right? So I want to, I I want them to stay high. I want them to stay off the ground, but I want them to compete really, really hard against each other with force. Right. So like think about being like a 16 year old kid and hearing all that stuff having to happen and not having full control of yourself and what that translates to, which is a lot of times what we end up seeing where, we end up yelling at coaches at every level that I've been at, like, stay off the ground, you know, like that kind of stuff, too. So the key with that, too, is becomes tackle high until domination, right? Mm-hmm. So we're defining that. And I understand I had a misspelling on the uh, on the uh, graphic I sent out, and I'll make a correction <laughs> of that, but the extra I was for intensity for anybody out there, just so you know. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're an ex- we got a little bit more intensity. Anyway, so the tackle high until domination piece, right, we want to stay – these are our higher tackles, right? We're probably at just below the chest plate, right? We're going to stay in that sweet spot area. We're probably not going to get as high of a bend inside there, right? If we do, if we are fortunate enough to have a bend and we get pad to pad and strike on the rise, this is where we're emphasizing that tuck piece, like what we're learning and translating it, right? Until the domination piece kind of happens there too. So we're we're happy to obviously be able to do that. Now, the big point of emphasis though in this is that we want, we want to take away the different different type of space that we do in the open field. Right. The type of space we're trying to take away here is we're taking away the actual squeezing and clamping of the of the shoulders and body, right? And we're also taking away the, the hip-to-hip space inside there, too. So term that I use all the time is about you've got to go ahead and tighten it up from the grips to the hips, from grips to the hips. So you're talking about from your grip, being able to grip stuff, being able to squeeze, being able to clamp being able to translate the weight room inside there because now the domination piece is is also significant because you're going to it's competitive and it's force versus force inside here. So there you got to redistribute their force as much as they're trying to go ahead and escape your force and run through yours too. So that again goes back to the fact that on offense, we don't teach the ball carriers to run out of bounds on the offensive side of the football. So they're go, they're, there's a way for them to practice this as well, too, and they'll try to run through you just like we will as well, too. But we want to make sure we're emphasizing stay off the ground, right? So in order to do so, we're going ahead and squeezing from those grips, squeezing from that clamp, right, and also trying to continually close space between our hips and their hips. Key of this one, too, and this is the, the big point of emphasis, right, where the, what do you, the, coach, the player says, you know, a lot of times the player goes to the ground and they say, well, what do you want me to do? Like, he fell and we say this is a key term I use with this, and and we translate it as, hey, if you're good enough to keep them up, you're definitely good enough to put them down. you got to challenge the notion that I can't keep them up. And if you can, that's full control of the ball carrier. We talk about the two areas that are contact-driven, which is the tuck and the thud. Those areas right there are about dominating and controlling the ball carrier. And if I can control the ball carrier to keep them off the ground, I definitely could just turn and get them down on the ground. Because, again, I mean, there's a lot of emphasis, and people get really fancy with, like, what they want to do and this perfect notion of a tackle, right? If you really, you know, there's a couple, obviously, too, and some people are really great at it. But when you look at it, you know, a lot of the tackles are very, very much not perfect, right? It's like right. trying to find the perfect snowflake in the middle of a snowstorm. You know, it's not always going to be the case, and you're emphasizing – like getting more players to the ball. If you have more players to the ball and you're trying to go ahead and take shots at the football, you're not going to have a lot of like textbook dominant tackles. And that's just, that's just fine. And you're going to have a lot of misses. You're going to have things like that too. I'm vulnerable enough to be able to say like, we're not always successful. And a lot of times we're not successful at some of these things. And you have to go back and you have to continuously teach it, change it, find it, find a better way to do it, get more players to the football, get better leverage. Those are things you do on a weekly basis especially as it gets later in the season, and you start to go ahead and leverage the ball at a less and less rate because you put more and more of what you do on film. So the key is it's like as you kind of get through this going, you're going to have more, less and less opportunities in practice for these thought opportunities, and when you want to do them, when you have them, you may get the 12 reps of them to do it, maybe in a week if you have a competitive period if you're lucky. And, then especially, and, and especially the other part of it, too, as you're developing younger kids on the scout team, and you want to keep those guys off the ground too, you want to make sure that they're understanding about being able to control the ball carrier, like those opportunities present themselves all the time. You think about this, and I've talked about this from for many years, but 70% of a football game is going to end in a tackle on a defensive side regardless if you're, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to only have to defend 45 plays, and if you have to defend 90 plays, It's still going to shake out about the same as 70% of it is, and probably only 4 to 6% of your practice is going to be tackling drills. And as mm-hmm. the season goes on, that's going to be less and less. And what ends up happening is you've got to be able to take advantage of your team period as ways to implement the fundamentals that you've taught throughout the summer, throughout the fall, throughout the spring, throughout all phases in the weight room. Like they have to be able to, you have to leverage opportunities for them to translate inside of that whole entire planning session and then especially in practice periods too.
0: And then the last thing you have as part of this progression is ball. Go ahead and give us that explanation of what ball means to you.
1: So you mentioned the word, you were talking about whiz-by too, and I've been in places where it's spin whiz-by, and we just had, Coach uses the term ball tempo, and that's the one that we use. So it was, again, it's about the vertical alignment of putting it to place. What does a non-contact period look like, right? So it's where, hey, we're at ball tempo. When you talk about the ball tempo piece, right, you talk about obviously it's non-contact. Okay, you talked about the non-contact pieces. Routinely, when you look at the ball tempo, you know you look at those situations, those seven-on-sevens, you look at the non-padded days that you get during the course of the season, especially teams' components do, and being able to pull an acronym out of a out of ball was was, was was fairly easy. It's a lot easier than you'd think because it's got the L word in it, leverage. Like you could have leverage inside there too, but what about your leverage is so important in a non-pad situation? It's being at your leverage and the constant evaluation for yourself of being at your leverage, right? Because it's almost like shadow boxing, right? You you look at it from like a boxer, right? The shadow boxer is constantly going ahead and imagining what that's going to end up being at different types, of, at different areas, right? So you start talking about the concept of being at your leverage and what do you constantly do in that shadow box type scenario is you're learning. So we talk about like be at the leverage and learn and – for great tacklers like that I've coached, they're constantly asking about their leverage. Where am I putting the football? Right? Where do I put the football? Where is where is my help? Where am I where do I want the ball to end up being? And that really opens it up, you know, you kinda of look at it and you say, Well, what do I do? Well you do that all the time in walkthroughs. In walkthroughs you constantly have that conversation. So walkthroughs translate to be able to be the simplest type of ball below tempo, to be able to teach it at. But then you end up going ahead and you know, you know, on can periods, whatever the case may be, and they you know, you start to put some receivers out there, but then it manifests itself into seven on seven, right? It manifests itself into, you know, at periods of time where you wanna make sure where the ball's gonna hit where the ball's gonna fit, where am I putting the ball, where am I now taking on a block and where is the ball gonna get pushed to in order to do that too. And again with some of the restrictions that we end up having on practice times and contact, whatever the case may be, it really becomes the point of emphasis becomes pretty clear that it needs to happen at different at different levels, right? It needs to, it needs to happen. The clearly defining of it is what is really the, the art, really, right? Because like a lot of it too, excuse me, is the science of it. Because there's an art to it, this, and then obviously you just gotta kind of be able to kind of find find a definition between the two which I think is really, really something that you, you got to kind of overemphasize. And, again, it goes back to what I said before about inspect what you expect of it, too.
0: So for us as coaches, it's always about the results. So we come up with these great ideas, but how do they really work out when it goes to the game? And I'll, I'll say this, at Fordham University, they had two of the top tacklers in the country. Their top tackler finished with 125. He was number two in the nation in FCS, and their number one tackler was top 25. I think he had, if I remember right, it was 105 tackles, but he only played five games. He actually won't show on the rankings. He's on your own stats. He was, by far, till he was injured, the number one tackler in the nation, and nobody was close. I mean, he, he was averaging over 20 tackles a game. I believe he had the FCS... Record for tackles in a single game, and that was, I think, was that against Nebraska. Am I right? That is correct. Thirty-two tackles. Thirty-two tackles. So, I think the results speak for themselves. You definitely see this translating out on the field.
1: And more importantly, again, two outstanding individuals. More the and, and 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 people that are devoted to like what they do. And one's obviously older than the other, and taking one under the wing, but two outstanding competitors and, and students of the game and take what they have physically and make it into something through the mental side of the game. So you could see all the press and the interviews on, on, on both of them. But the key is, is more than anything else, is they they are dedicated to all aspects of what they do. And if you see those players in ball tempo, they're learning and they're in leverage and body position in those places. And that that is probably the biggest Take away more than anything else. What you see on the on the films on Saturdays and stuff like that is a byproduct of the work that they put in there too. And and you know I credit them for this stuff as much as anybody else, just because of the fact that they're the ones who do it. They're the ones to challenge to to uh, challenge you as a coach. And that's listening to your players has always been something that makes better players. It, it, right. And that's what's key here in this place. And especially when you look at a guy like Ryan and you, and you see that. You know the way he goes about his business. You better come ready to coach him every day because he's gonna he's gonna force that to happen, and that's that's why that's why the relationship is so special with with an individual like that because he, he gets you know you want to get the best out of him, but at the end of the day he ends up getting the best out of you. <laughs> you know,
0: so. Well, I really appreciate you sharing these ideas with our listeners. I know this is something that can make every program better if you really dig into it no pun intended and take a look at all the things that coach dig has put together and, and uh coach i'm i'm sure you'll be okay with this i'd like to put these four slides that you uh shared in uh, the the little clinic we did the other day put these slides up in our show notes as well
1: you got it. i'll share it out too i'm sure at some point in time because
0: yeah i think more than
1: anything else keith i think what's most important is we don't work in silos I mean there's no hidden secrets. I mean there's every every day you, you're out there these championship games and these, these rivalry games and especially these bowl games. I mean these are the time of year where everybody's design, everybody's stuff is really on display and and you know what we do fundamentally is no different. But I think the biggest point of emphasis with all of this more than anything else is, is what works for one doesn't always work for other. but you you think of the concept mm-hmm. and you say to yourself, You want to coach you want to coach as fast as possible. You want to coach as comfortable and as fast as possible. So it's about making, it's about taking what you learn and about putting it into the way you do it and all aspects of the game rather than, and I, and I worked for a great coach when I first started coaching in college, Clayton Kendrick Holmes, and he would say all the time, he's like, I don't want to see somebody else's drill tape out there. I want to see what, what is meaningful for our players. And I think that's always stuck with me. Um, in every aspect of what I've done coaching-wise you know, and, about, and then go to other places, and especially where we are now about being great teachers and being about players. You take a little bit from each kind of scenario or, or interaction that you have and you kind of mold what your coaching approach and philosophy is. And, but the big thing is it's not just about reproducing this concept or reproducing it word for word always. Sometimes, yes, you do. Uh not to say you should never do that, but really making sure that, you know, you have your version of the thing that you're taking from each individual thing I think is, is probably the, the the best advice I can give to anybody, especially when it comes to creating something like we kinda of created
0: here. I love it, Dig. It's great advice, all of it. I love always how you think about the game, certainly. Uh, that you come on the podcast and share those things here. So as you know, you're welcome anytime. I talk to you just about every day, uh, but anytime you would like to actually share those things to an audience, you know you're welcome here. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. I'll share that slide out on social. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski for that, as well as put it in our show notes on coachingcoordinator.com. Remember to register for the sweepstakes. We are awarding that next week on the 12th, the five-year anniversary of the podcast. Thank you again for our listeners and for your support.